Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Pure evil. Ten people shot and killed at a Buffalo supermarket in a racist rampage. A military-style execution. How can shootings like this be stopped? New York Governor Kathy Hochul is next. And fighting spirit. GOP heavyweights split with former President Trump over primaries. While Democrats wonder if their voters will turn out this fall. What issues are motivating them? I'll talk with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Republican Governor of Nebraska Pete Ricketts ahead. Plus, on Putin's border, as Ukraine fights... Finland applies to join NATO, exactly what Putin tried to avoid. You caused this. Look at the mirror. How will Russia respond? I'll speak exclusively to the president of Finland, Sauli Minista, in moments. Good morning, I'm Dana Bash in Washington, where the state of our union is heartbroken and horrified. This morning, we are grieving the loss of 10 people in Buffalo, New York, shot and killed while shopping for groceries. Three others were shot but survived, victims of a rampage by an 18-year-old white male shooter who authorities say traveled for hours and used an assault-style weapon to carry out the racist attack. 11 of the 13 victims were black. The shooter has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder, in an attack streamed live on social media as the Justice Department examines whether he committed a hate crime and an act of racially motivated violent extremism. President Biden suggested the shooting was domestic terrorism. Investigators are reviewing a 180-page manifesto posted online in connection with the shooting probe to law enforcement officials tell CNN. And the manifesto's author describes his perceptions about the dwindling size of the white population in the U.S. and claims of ethnic and cultural replacement of whites. He describes himself as a fascist, a white supremacist, and an anti-Semite who picked up most of his beliefs on the Internet. Here with me now is New York Governor Kathy Hochul. Uh, Governor, thank you so much for joining me. I'm sorry it's under these conditions. Can you first tell us what more you've learned about the shooter's motive and this purported manifesto? Well, this manifesto tells everything to us, and that is what's so bone-chilling about it, is that there is the ability for people to write and subscribe to such uh, philosophies filled with hate, the white supremacist acts of terrorism that are being fomented on social media, and to know that what this one individual did has been shared with the rest of the world, as well as the live streaming of this military-style execution that occurred in the, homes, in the streets of my hometown. And that is what is so fundamentally disturbing about this, that this is not just a long time ago, members of the KKK would sit in a hall and plot what they're gonna do in their community. This spreads like a virus. And that's why I'm calling on the 
CEOs of all the social media platforms to examine their policies and to be able to look me in the eye and tell me that everything is being done that they can to make sure that this information is not spread. They have to be able to identify when information like this, the second it hits the platform, it needs to be taken down because this is spreading like wildfire. These theories mm -hmm. that result in the radicalization of a young person sitting in their house is deeply scary and yeah. it's something that has to be dealt with. Well, you have called it a, quote, feeding frenzy on social media for white supremacy. We also know uh, that this is based on something that's truly disgusting. It's called replacement theory. The idea is that non-white people living in America are trying to replace white people. And it's being pushed by some prominent right-wing voices, and it's been done so for years. What can be done to stop that? They need to be called out, and leaders, elected officials from both parties need to be stand up at this moment and call it out and to shame it and to make sure that these people crawl back into their holes and stay there. This cannot be part of our mainstream dialogue here in the United States of America. So leaders have a responsibility to call it out. As a leader of the state of New York, I also have a responsibility to make sure that we protect people with respect to guns. And we have some of the toughest laws in America on the books here, but the guns are coming in from other states. Or the Enhanced Magazine, which is exactly what happened here, the high-capacity magazine that led to the slaughter of people in my hometown. So we are dealing with it on the gun side, but also on the social media side. And the combination of the wild access to guns, uh, unfettered, we need national laws to deal with this, as well as the unfettered sharing of hate information on the Internet, that is a lethal combination. We saw that on display here just hours ago, last yesterday. Talking about guns, do you know whether the shooter legally obtained and possessed this weapon? The gun was purchased in a gun store in New York State legally, an AR-15. But what has made this so lethal and so devastating for this community was the high-capacity magazine that would have had to been purchased elsewhere. That's not legal in the state of New York. We don't know whether it was purchased in Pennsylvania, but literally the Pennsylvania border is minutes away. And we, there already is the flow of guns and illegal capacity magazines coming from gun shows purchased legally, and they end up in someone's trunk. They bring them up I-81, they head into New York State, head over to the Bronx, head over to Brooklyn, head over to the city, or they go to places like New York, Buffalo, Syracuse, Rochester. So that's how it's spreading. Other states do not have the same laws that we have, and people are just crossing those borders. Governor Kathy Hochul, joining me from uh, your hometown of Buffalo. Thank you so much. Thank you. Here with me now is the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Madam Speaker, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, on this shooting in Buffalo, the racist purported manifesto is based on the really repugnant white supremacist idea that people of color are replacing white people in the United States. And as you know, this isn't just a fringe theory on the corner of the Internet. It, it's being pushed by right-wing media personalities and some political figures. What do you say to them, and do they share any responsibility in this attack? Well, I do think that it, it, it's so horrible, and it's a horrible way to wake up on Sunday for these families to face that reality and to have it be 
part of a philosophy in our country, as you described. But I do think that some of the uh, people of faith, as well as leaders in in sense of community and the rest, not necessarily political people, because that might be dividing, that people have to come out and say that this has no place in our country. We see it with our Asian Pacific American community. We see it in terms of the people from all parts of the Latino community, which is very diverse, and it's just not right. And our chairman, Benny Thompson, for years has been pleading for there to be stronger attention to and objection to any domestic terrorism. And that's what this is, domestic terrorism. And, you know, we've been here so many times before. You and other Democrats call for new gun restrictions year after year. Democrats have unified control of the House and the Senate and the White House. I know that in the House you've repeatedly passed gun measures and that your majorities in Congress are slim. But should you and the president and other other Democratic leaders make this a bigger priority? It is a, a huge priority for us, and it has been a huge priority for Joe Biden, for President Biden. Time and time again, we have met with survivors, families of survivors. I just did on, in terms of Mother's Day because we had moms who had lost their children to gun violence. Uh, we honor them at a luncheon in San Francisco. My daughter helped put that together with Maddie Scott, who, is, who lost her son to, to gun violence. But we're doing it year in and year out, and it's grown, sadly, a club no one wants to belong to. But the fact is the... Uh, 60-vote majority in the Senate is an obstacle to doing any many good things, unfortunately. And uh, again, we, have, we are not going away until the job is done. We've said it over and over again to the families of Newtown, the Florida families, the Pulse families. It's not just, though, the main of, you know, these mass murders, which are horrible. They're high-profile. It's what happens every single night across the country in our cities and, and other places in, in our country. So it, there has to be, there has to be, and, and it's overwhelmingly popular. And, and people of, uh, members of the NRA, gun owners, hunters, and all the rest, they have to have a background, a background they have to have a, uh, the background check. Why shouldn't everyone who wants to have a gun have that, and we'll see. Now, would it solve every challenge we have? Maybe not, but it would take us a long way. And we know when, when the Brady Bill first passed, and I was part of that, that millions of, of uh, uh, purchases were stopped and lives were saved. So this is, uh, this is about safety, and safety is the, what we take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution. The inference to be drawn is the safety also of the American people. Let's turn to Roe versus Wade. You protested for abortion rights this week on the Capitol steps, but as you know, Roe is still likely to be overturned. And the bill you passed in the House to legalize abortion is not going to become law anytime soon. So what can you do to help women who will be seeking abortions but live in states where it's banned? For example, would you encourage private companies to provide travel for abortions as a health benefit? Well, of course that, but the fact is, is we as a country, this is, let's just put this in perspective. What we want women 
and families and everyone to focus on is the nature of this decision. This is the, our country, the genius of our founders was to have a constitution that enabled freedom to expand. And it did with marriage equality, it did with Roe v. Wade, it, in many ways defining freedom more fully. This is the first time the court has taken back a freedom uh, that was defined by precedent and respect for privacy. So let, let's stay focused on who we are as a country and not turn into something where we have to depend on the privacy. I think that's all good. It, it's helpful to the women, and that's important. But it's also important to know that this is not right. This is not the path of freedom for our country. So they're putting freedom on the ballot, and our democracy has been on the ballot because of what, what, um, what they have, are doing to elections. But this is a place where freedom and the kitchen table issues of America's families come together. The, what are the decisions that a family makes? What about contraception for young people? You know, it's just beyond uh, a particular situation. It's, it's massive in terms of contraception, in vitro fertilization, uh, again, uh, a woman's right to decide. And, uh, and it's, it's okay. We want to mitigate for the damage, but we have to get rid of the damage. Many Democrats are angry. You're, I know you're one of them. Uh, a lot of people in, in the grassroots are despondent over this draft ruling. And one reason yeah. why they're, they're upset is because conservatives have played the long game here. You know this. They have said over and over for decades yeah. that this was their goal, to overturn Roe v. Wade, and that Democratic leaders should have seen this coming. I'm sure you've heard well, this, I too. Mean, well, no, I mean, the point is... is who would have ever suspected that a creature like Donald Trump would become president of the United States, waiving a list of judges that he would appoint, therefore getting the support of the far right, and appointing those anti-freedom justices to the court. So this is not about long game. We played a long game. We won Roe v. Wade a long time ago. We voted to protect it over time. We have have elected a Democratic House of Representatives that is pro-choice. Uh, the again, you had sixty vote thing in the uh, the Senate, uh, and and some lack what? of clarity on part of some of the Republicans who say they're pro-choice and then vote against a woman's right to choose. But it isn't, it, let's not take our eye off the ball. The ball is this court, which is dangerous to the freedoms of our country. So, beware in terms of, of uh, marriage equality. Uh, beware in terms of other aspects of it. And so it is, uh, let's not waste our time on that. The fact is, this is a dangerous court to families, to freedom in our country. And that is why people have to mobilize them. My saying is we don't agonize, we organize. And what, we go out there and, on what and make sure people know that if they, that actually elections have consequences. So what the impact will elected, this have on the midterms? What's his name did? Well, I would hope that we could have some resolution of it before. We'd rather have it resolved rather than an issue for a campaign because we're talking about a woman's decision-making her family, her God, her doctor, her, her own decision-making. So we, we have to fight the fight on the issue now. Uh, I think that it would have an impact on the elections, but right now I want everyone to just focus, 
Just focus on what this does and what this means to you. Why didn't I say this as a practicing devout Catholic, five children in six years in one week? (laughs) I don't disrespect people's views and how they want to live their lives. But I don't think that it's up to the Donald Trump appointees on the court or any politicians to make that decision uh, for women. And I just do, I'll just say what I've been saying for decades. Understand this. This is not just about terminating a pregnancy. This is about contraception, family planning. They have been against it. They've told me, some of my Republican colleagues, we're not for any family planning domestically or internationally when we've tried to get rid of the gag rule well, and things speaking- like that. So this is as personal as it gets. All politics is local tip. This politics is very personal. Yeah, understandably. And speaking of families, I want to ask about baby formula and the shortage in America. One manufacturer expects the shortages to last for the rest of the year. There are American parents who can't feed their babies right now. So when can parents who need help expect that? Uh, For example, Madam Speaker, should the president use the Defense Production Act to manufacture more baby formula? Yeah, I, I think so. But the, the, as the law is now, it is not possible to do that. Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, who had, uh, she's the chair of the Appropriations Committee, as you know, she's been on this case for a while. She was the chair of the new, uh, Ag Committee, Subcommittee on Appropriations mm-hmm. before, and that's Ag, but it's also nutrition and everything that goes with that. So we've been talking about that, and, and she feels quite certain that we have to change the law in order for the Defense uh, Production Act to be called into play, and we certainly should. Mm. But in the meantime, this week we have two bills coming out. Bobby Scott, chair of Education and Labor Committee, has a bill to loosen some of the red tape associated with how people can buy uh, a, a formula and other aspects of that. Fifty percent of the formula is purchased under the WIC program, mm-hmm. and so to facilitate that, A. B, we then have another bill uh, that Rosa, Madam Chair, is putting together that will allocate resources for us to be able to purchase more. And that is, there are four countries, Mexico, Chile, uh, Ireland, and the Netherlands, who have supply uh, that we may be able to um, acquire immediately. Now, the president has rightfully said, rightfully said, (coughs) we have to be as fast as possible, but as cautious as possible so that we have safety. In in addition to all of this, we have to subject these companies to some scrutiny about the safety of this and and how we got to a place where we have babies crying in our country because they're hungry and the shelves are bare. We have to fill them immediately. Real quick. We're, we're I say that as a mother of five. Yeah. <laughs> Grandmother of Un- nine. Understandably. Uh, before I let you go, one more thing on the plate of Congress is the coronavirus relief package. The Senate didn't pass it because Republicans want to attach immigration to it, <clears throat> keeping a pandemic border rule called Title 42. Some Senate Democrats are now signaling, well, they're open to passing both of those together. Real quick, yes or no, would you support that? Well, listen, we're observing in these days a million people who have died of COVID. The 
sadness of this lingers on, causing all kinds of trauma for families, mental health issues, sadness for families. You would think that the Republicans would take that into consideration. They couldn't pass the Ukraine bill with the senators going over to Ukraine empty-handed with a promise. We passed the bill. They, we wanted to put the COVID on there. They said no. We said, okay, the, the Ukraine, urgent, right this minute, we'll do that. But we have to do the COVID package. There's no use holding it up to blackmail as, as the Republicans are trying to do. We're working on it. We'll find a way. It has to be done because people are uh, continuing to, to um, uh, hear every moment all the time. Now, hopefully not as deadly as the previous uh, COVID-19, but nonetheless, we must pass the package. And Even if it again, means Title 42 is on it. should not connect it. I don't know why 42 would be on it. It has nothing to do with it. Okay. But nonetheless... I think COVID, I think title the title forty two, uh, the president made the right decision. Okay. The fact is now that we have to either substitute for okay. it, but we must pass. Madam the COVID Speaker, package. I have to let you go. Thank you so much for joining me this Thank morning. You. I appreciate it. My next guest backed a different candidate than former President Trump in his state's Republican primary this week, and the governor won. I'll ask Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts about the future of his party next. And Finland will apply to join NATO. And it appears that Russia is already retaliating. I'll talk exclusively to the Finnish president on why the dramatic change. That's coming up. Welcome back to State of the Union. Former President Trump is looking at this spring's primary races as a test of his power over his party. But Trump suffered his first loss this past week when the candidate he backed to replace Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts lost to the candidate Ricketts endorsed to replace him. And now a host of GOP heavyweights, including Trump's own former vice president, are hoping to pull the same thing off again in Georgia. Here with me now to discuss is Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, who is also co-chair of the Republican Governors Association. Thank you for joining me, Governor. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But first, I want to ask about the shooting in Buffalo, Buffalo yesterday. The shooter's purported manifesto centers on white supremacist nationalism and the idea that non-white immigrants are replacing white people in the U.S. And frankly, a lot of this has been perpetuated by some right-wing media and even some political figures. So as a GOP elected official and a leader in your party, can you offer some moral clarity here about these views and the people who espouse them? Yeah, absolutely. Racism has no place in America. And of course, we grieve for the victims and keep them in our thoughts and prayers. And this is where the FBI does need to investigate. If it was racially motivated, it needs to be a hate crime and prosecuted that way on top of the murders. And we really need to strong, send a strong message that this is just anti-American, that if you are pursuing these kind of goals, this is not a place for you. You need to go someplace else because that's not what this country is about. I want to ask a question about guns. New York Governor Kathy Hochul told me uh, at the beginning of this program that the shooter obtained this weapon legally. He's just 18 years old. There is a bipartisan bill in Congress to raise the minimum age to buy an assault-style weapon to 21. Do you support that? I haven't looked at the details of that bill. 
I think when we're talking about events like this, one of the things that we ought to be doing is what we've kind of done here in Nebraska is work to be able to open up good lines of communications between educators, law enforcement, behavioral health specialists to try and be more preventative. Uh, we launched our system of care here in Nebraska back in 2016 to be more preventative, specifically around mental health issues in children. And that's one of the things I think we can all focus on. There was a study last year that showed that these shooters uh, have a lot of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I think we can do more on. And in fact, in Nebraska, we're dedicating millions of dollars to try and attract more people to the behavioral health field because we've got such a shortage. And is there any gun legislation to put tighter controls or new age limits even in, 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 on the state level? It's only 18 in your state as well. Yeah, we don't have any uh, restrictions like that. And I, again, I think the focus ought to be on trying to be preventive rather than to restrict legal buying from people. Uh, it really needs to be focused on what is the issue here with each individual and trying to find how we can be more proactive in spotting those folks and getting them the help they need. All right, Governor, let's talk about the Republican Party. The candidate you endorsed to replace you just defeated the candidate that former President Trump endorsed in your state's Republican primary. Does this show that there are limits to the power of the Trump endorsement? Well, here in Nebraska, the candidate that uh, President Trump endorsed was a deeply flawed candidate, had a number of different scandals around him. It's one of the reasons why I picked one of his opponents. Uh, you know, in a contested primary, we ought to expect that the Republicans are going to be different sides of this. It's not unusual. Uh, I support many of Trump, uh, President Trump's policies, but in this case, we are on opposite sides of it. And at the end of the day, I think voters in individual states, and it's certainly true here in Nebraska, they make their own decisions. You know, people outside the state can have an influence, but at the end of the day, Nebraskans look to their own, and Nebraskans made the decision they wanted for their state. This isn't just about Nebraska. You're going to travel to Georgia this week, just like Chris Christie and Mike Pence are, to campaign for Governor Brian Kemp. He's running again against a Trump-endorsed challenger, that being David Perdue. I think it's fair to say there are a few Republicans who Donald Trump dislikes more than Brian Kemp after that governor refused to overturn the 2020 election. Would it be easier your job as a co-chair of the Republican Governors Association if President Trump just stayed out of these primaries? Well, I try to focus on the things I can control, and what President Trump does is not one of those things. Uh, you know, as co-chair of the Republican Governors Association, we've been very clear that we support our incumbents. Brian Kemp is a great incumbent. He's done a fantastic job in Georgia. We're excited to support him, and that's one of the reasons why I'm going to Georgia, because I think Brian Kemp deserves another term. And I think he's going to be able to beat Tracy Abrams. So yeah. this is a, a man who's done a great job and he deserves to be reelected. You, you can't control him. So is it true that you asked the president, the former president, to stay out of the primary in your home state of Nebraska and he refused? Yeah, that, well, uh, he, at the time he didn't refuse. He said he'd get back to me later. But yes, I did call him last summer and asked him to stay out of the primary race. But I guess that's a great example of uh, things you can control and things you can't control. And the former president just announced he's endorsing Doug Mastriano in the Pennsylvania governor's race. He was a key player in trying to overturn the 2020 election in Pennsylvania in that legislature. Party leaders there worry he can't win the general election. As the co-chair of the RGA, would you support him if he's the nominee? So we support the people that the, uh, you know, the Republican nominees that the people of those states elect. 
we you know, make those decisions based on uh, where we think we can be effective. Uh, our policy has long been we get involved in races where we think we can win. So uh, the candidate, whoever gets elected in Pennsylvania, will have to show that they're going to make it a good race. And if it's a good race, the Republican Governors Association will be there to support our Republican nominee. That's not a ringing endorsement. Well, again, uh, I'm not familiar specifically with all the candidates in Pennsylvania where we have an open seat like mm -hmm. that. The Republican Governors Association doesn't get involved. So we wait till the people okay. of that state pick their nominee. And then, of course, we uh, decide on which races we can be effective in. And that's where we uh, allocate our resources. How do you see former President Trump right now? Is he the leader of the GOP? You know, I, I would think one of the things I think there's a lot of misconception about just generally is that there's some you know big monolithic thing called the Republican Party? It's very decentralized. Uh, certainly, President Trump, uh, you know, has a very big influence on the Republican Party. Again, I get back to uh, supporting his policies. They were fantastic when he was in office. You could see the results in the economy, the reduction in income inequality, reduction in uh, you know uh, African American unemployment, Asian American unemployment, uh, just how many people were working in our workforce. So great policies that helped out our country. And I think that continues to have an influence in Republicans because the policies that he was putting in place were ones broadly Republican support. So I think that uh, without a, re a Republican president, there's a lot of different leaders. President Trump certainly has a lot of influence because his policies were so good. Before I let you go, one uh, final question about Roe v. Wade. The Supreme Court appears poised to reverse that. Nebraska, your state, does not have a so-called trigger law on the books, but there was an effort, as you know, to pass one. It failed by only two votes last month. The abortion ban that you tried to pass did not include any exceptions for rape or incest. So can you clarify, do you think that the state of Nebraska should require a young girl who was raped to carry that pregnancy to term? So Nebraska is a pro-life state. I believe life begins at conception, and those are babies too. So if Roe versus Wade, which was a horrible constitutional decision, uh, gets overturned by the Supreme Court, which we're hopeful of, here in Nebraska, we're going to take further steps to protect those preborn babies. Including in the case of rape or incest? They're still babies, too. Yes, they're still babies. So if Roe is overruled and overturned, uh, will you call a special session right away to ban abortion in Nebraska? Well, if we do get that uh, Roe versus Wade overturned, we will take. I will work with our Speaker of the Legislature to work on a special session and uh, do more to protect preborn babies. We'll have to wait and see what that decision is before we can take further steps. But that would certainly be my intention. Okay, Governor Ricketts, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me on. And Finland is applying to join NATO. How will that reshape the world order and affect Russia's ambitions? The Finnish president joins me next. Welcome back to State of the Union. This morning, Finland formally moved to join NATO and set aside decades of neutrality. The decision the country's president told Vladimir Putin on a call this weekend was a direct result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. NATO expansion along Russia's western border is the exact opposite of what Putin said he was trying to accomplish with the war. And he told Finland's president this weekend that he was making a mistake. 
Here with me now, the president of Finland, Sauli Ninista. Mr. President, thank you so much for joining me again. And just days before Russia invaded Ukraine, we spoke and you told me you did not see any reason for, quote, dramatic sudden changes to Finland's relationship with NATO. Here we are just three months later, and you've just announced you're going to formally apply to join the NATO alliance. Is this because you're worried Russia could attack you as well? Not necessarily, but two things to place. First, Russia tried to deny any enlargement of NATO, and that changed in a way very much our position here. Uh, so far, we had thought that, okay, we are non-aligned of our own will. But when they said that, that meant that we do not have any will there left. So that was the first stage, and surely 24th of February, when they made a huge attack to Ukraine, that changed quite a lot. Well, it showed that they are ready to attack to an independent neighboring country. So you were worried that you could be attacked? Not necessarily, but uh, I would say that uh, things were changing also, undoubtedly, and what we see now. Uh, Europe, the world, is more divided. There's not very much room for uh, non-aligned mm. in between. So that was uh, also what we were thinking. Uh, I do not believe that they planned, no, any attack on Finland. Not then, nor now. A few years ago, Vladimir Putin said when he looks at your country, he sees friends. But warned that if you join, join NATO, he will see an enemy instead. I know you spoke with the Russian president yesterday. Does he now consider... Finland an enemy? And how concerned are you that he may retaliate against you before your process continues and before you can fully qualify to be a member of NATO? Actually, why I called him, I wanted just to confirm that now the situation is changed. We are going to apply membership. And uh, in the same way, he confirmed that he thinks it's a mistake. We are not threatening you. Uh, altogether, the discussion was very, would I say, calm and cool. And uh, he didn't repeat those threats he had earlier and his people had been telling. That is that uh, if Finland joins, that means some kind of contra steps, uh, military contra steps, whatever that meant. But he didn't repeat it now, so I was uh, uh, not necessarily surprised, but uh, it was, like I said, quite calm and cool. Did he say anything that did surprise you? Actually, the surprise was that he took it so calmly. Do you, do you really believe uh, that? But... Um, that, that his tone actually will match well, how he feels? Well, I was about to come to that. Uh, that was something I was about to come. Uh, in security policy, especially uh, talking with uh, Russia, uh, you have to keep in mind that what is said uh, doesn't uh, mean that you shouldn't be 
all the time uh, quite uh, well aware and uh, follow up what really is happening. But so far, uh, it seems that uh, <clears throat> there's no immediate problems coming. You need the unanimous approval of all 30 NATO members in order to join the alliance. But on Friday, uh, the Turkish president, Erdogan, said he does not look, quote, positively toward Finland and Sweden joining. I know you said you're confused by his reaction, but do you think Turkey actually could block you from joining NATO? Uh, first, why I was astonished uh, was because I had a telephone discussion with the President Erdogan that it's about one month ago. And then he said that they will uh, estimate, uh, well, positively our, our aim to apply membership. And now it changed. Uh, I believe that there will be a lot of discussions still, and uh, I'm not that worried about that. You're not? You think that ultimately Turkey will join the other NATO countries in approving your application? It's very obvious that they demand some kind of discussion uh, with uh, Sweden and uh, partly with Finland too. Maybe they will enlarge that discussion to other countries. We don't know. That's dealing with their <coughs> PKK movement. You spoke with President Zelensky of Ukraine just a few days ago. And as you know, he's extremely frustrated that NATO has not allowed Ukraine to join the alliance. Once Finland is part of NATO, will you advocate for Ukraine to be offered membership as well? Uh, actually, it's not in our hands, but uh, I just want to tell that uh, that President Zelensky was very positive with our membership. Maybe he sees that uh, it's good that NATO shows that it is possible to enlarge and maybe waiting for, uh, for the future for them to try to do the same. President but at the moment, we hear that it is not uh, a solution. President Sauli Ninista, thank you so much. It's nice to see you again. As you said, a lot has changed in uh, the three months since we spoke last, and I hope to speak to you again soon. <laughs> Uh, let's hope that uh, if uh, a lot is changing again, it would change in a better. Thank you. Two Republicans are surging ahead in Pennsylvania's primaries, but members of their own party are worried they can't win in the fall. Our political panel is next. about Kathy Barnett. We can't trust Kathy Barnett for Senate. I've been finding out things that are very alarming to me, and it will be fodder for the Democrats. This is our seat to lose, folks. We don't want to throw this away with a candidate who's not well vetted. Kathy's going to be a lot of trouble. I think she's going to be a lot of trouble. She's totally, totally an unknown, and we can't have that. Down to the wire for the Pennsylvania Republican primaries, and that happens actually Democratic primaries too, but let's talk about the Republican primary with our panel. And we have David Urban here, who is a Mr. Pennsylvania. I should say that you are supporting David McCormick. The, the winner in the race. In, in the, in, okay, in the, uh, in the primary for the Senate. But 
how worried are you about Kathy uh, Barnett? Well, I, think, look, I, I think, Dana, I think everybody's kind of concerned a bit, right, as you, as you said, as, as the tease let in, um, that, that Kathy Barnett's just unvetted. She's unknown. There's lots of, there are more questions about Kathy Barnett's resume than there are answers. And, and, and as you know, that is fodder for the Democrats in the fall. Um, she's already run for Congress once and got drubbed. Yeah. And, and the so, concern is that she'll run again and get drubbed in the fall this year. And we can't do that. It's let, too let's let's pull back a little bit to uh, to widen the aperture, as they say, and look at what this means, Mia, for the Republican Party, mm-hmm. because this is just going to be the latest in a real tug of war over whether or not people who Donald Trump supports, and that's almost exclusively people who believe in the big lie and so forth, versus others uh, maybe those who consider themselves more traditional conservatives. Well, okay, so first of all, I need to say that it just, uh, it, there's something that's poking at me. Those same words were said about me, by the way. I wasn't vetted enough. <laughs> I didn't have enough experience, even though I was a mayor and on the city council. So I, unless you have something that, that is concrete that you don't like, I really believe that you just need to give people a chance to get out there and talk about issues. So let's go back to talking about issues. That is what's going to make a difference. Yeah, but, but Mia, this is, a case, this is a case where there's holes in her resume. There's, there's big holes about her military record, about her service. She said she worked on Wall Street. She worked in a bank in St. Louis. There are big holes about what she did in the military. She's not answering the press. The press is asking her about tweets. She's refusing to answer them. But this is what That's unvetted. That's unvetted. That's not you arguing about qualifications. That's just not answering questions. And this this speaks to the larger picture of what Pennsylvania looks like, Paul Begala. You're no stranger to Pennsylvania politics. You've (laughs) run a racer 10 there. (laughs) Um, And the question is, where is... It's a purple state, but if you have a Republican uh, candidate for Senate who maybe you would consider unelectable, for governor, perhaps unelectable. Do Democrats have what it takes to win those seats? Well, they do. First off, they, Joe Biden won Pennsylvania by 80,568 votes. I say that because it's not because it's news, but because it's fact. And the leading Republican candidate for governor, Mr. Mastriano, denies that fact. He is a liar. He believes in the big lie. That seems to be a litmus test for Republicans. And the Senate side, I mean, I just let you two fight it out. But it's it's uh, this guy McCormick, who's from Connecticut. This guy Oz, who's from New Jersey. This woman Barnett, who's like from Magaland. Uh, I'm not sure if any of them really reflect Pennsylvania, but it's it's you guys' well, party, so you can sort. Well, that let me out. let me bring in uh, the state representative from Michigan, who. You're talking about Michigan and other and other stuff. Excuse me, State Senator uh, Mallory uh, McMorrow. Thank you so much, first of all, for coming here and being on the panel. What are your views on this general idea of election deniers versus more traditional conservatives and what it might mean for the Democrats on the ballot? It, it is catastrophic. And I want us to take a step back and stop talking about putting up numbers and scores and what it means for Democrats and Republicans, because the question is, what does it mean for our country? Mm-hmm. What's happening in Pennsylvania is what's happening in Michigan right now, where it is a competition to see who can say the craziest, most offensive things. People who are more than willing to throw out the election. The Michigan Republican Party has been replacing board of canvassers with people who will willingly overturn the election. And it is not hyperbole to say this may be the very last free and fair election we ever have if traditional Republicans don't stand up and say it's enough and Democrats don't grow a spine. I think this is going to be about what is happening in the economy. The person that can talk about the issues that we are facing, and they're very, very big issues, 
inflation, gas prices, labor shortages. That's what Americans are worried about. And the person that can not talk about yesterday, not talk about even what's today, but what's next. And they have a vision for what's going next. We need some leadership. And Americans are tired of relitigating. I I don't dispute that. That's exactly general election. But primary elections are very different. Paul knows it in Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania Democratic primary is very messy. Uh, the Republican primary is very messy. Those things aren't what's but, resonating. But then, David, where's the yeah. line? Where does the Republican Party stand up yep. and say, this has gone too far and we have well, to put an end to I, it? I have a specific example. If you look at J.D. Vance in Ohio, he, he got the nomination of, uh, he got the endorsement of Don, Donald Trump. And that, what it did was really just push him over the edge of five candidates. But if you think about it, 340,991, to be exact, votes out of one million. 68% of people didn't vote for him. That means 68% did not vote for him. I want to talk about issues in one second, but before we leave Pennsylvania, if Mehmet Oz or Kathy McCormick win, excuse me, Kathy Kathy Barnett, win the primary in Pennsylvania, will you vote for either of them? Uh, well, I don't. Would you? I know you don't vote for them. Would you have? No, no. Listen, I, I, I would support. Would support uh, I, I would support the Republican nominee in the in the, in the Senate primary. No matter what. Sure, no matter what. Okay. I, I, so, I think, however, that David McCormick is the best general election candidate there by far. Okay. And in, in, the, in the governor's race, if Mastriano wins. I think he will lose. But but um, we I, support. I I'm sorry to press it, but he's telling a lie. Mallory's right. This is existential. This is not a fight yeah. about taxes. This is a guy who's lying to the people but, of Pennsylvania about who, Mr. Mastriano, about no, who no, won I don't Pennsylvania. Disagree. Well, I don't disagree with you. Okay, no, but so let's ask that's qualifying. <laughs> but this is, voter, I asked about the yeah. I asked about yeah. the Senate. Let's ask right. about the about governor's the race. Yeah, the governor's race. Listen, I, I don't think I could support Doug Mastriano. I think he's. I think he will lose badly, and I think that's the fear amongst. You know, you saw it in the page of the Wall Street Journal editorial page. You say it amongst lots and lots of Republicans in this town and across America that we are going to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in Pennsylvania with Doug Mastriano. And either Mehmet Oz or Kathy Barnett. I think that's a giant concern. Let's talk about issues. There is a new Monmouth University poll out this week that shows abortion nearly tied with the economy as voters' top concern going into the midterm elections. It, it, it is not surprising. So to paint a picture of what this looks like, when Roe falls in Michigan, there's a 1931 law on the books right now that will go into effect immediately that makes abortion a felony. It is going to send women, girls, providers, families to jail for seeking abortion care with no exception for rape or incest. This is a devastating moment that I think a lot of people knew was coming in. This is an economic issue. The ability to decide when it is right for a woman to become a mom is an economic issue. This is something that just honestly sears my soul. I I feel as if this in this country we're forced to take sides between the mother and an unborn child when those are it, it's unacceptable. I believe that we should be an advocate for life for both the a mother with an unwanted pregnancy and an unborn child. Somebody has to have somebody has to advocate for that unborn child. So I think what Washington should be doing is doing more to give women more access to their reproductive health before they have to make a decision between ending a life and keeping a life. We're trying to deal with this issue on the back end instead of doing everything we can to prevent unwanted pregnancies. Why not empower women and also do everything we can to save the life of a child? Yeah, and 
I appreciate that answer, but it's it's operating in a reality that doesn't exist. This is a country that has no guaranteed paid leave, where child care is unaffordable, where the idea of having a child or not, Michigan is the second steepest drop in birth rate in the entire country behind only Illinois. And when I talk to my constituents, they can't afford it. So yes, we have to work to support families, but the Republican Party right now has done nothing to support that. We haven't supported Build Back Better to put those pieces in place to say we're supporting families. Instead, it is forcing women to be reproductive vessels. And it shouldn't be that way. There is no reason why we can't get contraceptives over the counter, which is a bill that I pushed and supported, which it was both Democrats and Republicans that had a hard time getting on that. So we are not, again, it's unacceptable. We may be living in this reality, but I don't accept this reality. We have to change it because it's, it's unacceptable to just say that to ignore that there's actually an unborn child that needs an advocate. This is the quietest I've ever heard these men at a table ever. This is a great debate. Obviously, Mia and and Mallory have very important voices, and I don't think I can add much. Yeah, I I will add, Mallory's home state of Michigan, my home state of Texas has a law just like that, Mallory. Life in prison. Life in prison, no exception for the doc, no exception for rape, no exception for incest. That's the reality that Texas women are going to wake up to in a few weeks. And I I do think that's unacceptable. Well, and and this is an issue that is is fundamentally about... Women and their doctors making a choice. Got to end it there. Thank you so much for that very lively discussion. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria is next. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.